beautiful peace. It's good to be in this season of Lent and drawn into those kind of songs that are reflective and also so hopeful as we survey the cross and the hope that is in it for us. We don't journey towards Lent or towards Good Friday because we have uh, made a deal with death and we're just, we're just going to settle for that. We journey in hope because we're on our way towards Easter, we're on our way towards resurrection. And so we can do confidently that journey uh, and pilgrimage. Uh, I, before I begin this morning, I have a confession, a, an aspiration and a confession. Um, up here on my uh, pulpit, I actually have my iPad. I'm going to try to preach from this today because my confession is, that's my aspiration, my confession is I print a lot of paper every single week. And as someone who's trying to take uh, to, to heart the desires of earth care and wanting to be reducing my footprint as an individual, I'm going to try to preach from this. The other confession is that I still have my sermon notes right here. <laughs> because technology sometimes doesn't work. So again, this is a trial. But I'm going to see if during Lent I can preach from this uh, device instead of printing off something. So that's back Here we go. Let's pray so that God might Help me along with that and open our hearts to hear God's word. Lord, would you be with us as we begin to venture into this uh, pilgrimage of Lent, and as well venture into what it means to be a vital, vibrant, awake, and alive congregation. Lord, open us up to hear this text that may be familiar from the book of Acts with new ears, and to hear it for our lives today. Lord, the, the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word stands for so, we listen to it. Here we are, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our second scripture reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Hear the word of the Lord. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all, as any had need. Day by day, they, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having goodwill to all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Alright, I want to see a quick show of hands. Who has it all figured out? <laughs> Jenny Stephen. <laughs> oh, that's too good. <laughs> Alright, so that's too big of a question. Um, how about this? And no need to raise your hands on this one, because no shame uh, and, uh, and whatnot. But, who has washed their hands today? I no need to show that. <laughs> now, I'm going to, uh, you saw a few people raise their hands, and I sh I'm sure many of you made a mental image of, of your hand being raised. I'm going to ask you a little more uncomfortable question. Uh, who's eaten a meal this morning? Uh, who has used the facilities? Who has touched a doorknob? 
Show your hands. But I hope it's the same people who have washed their hands. <laughs> Ew. I'll wash your hands, people. I most certainly am not intending to make light of what is a very serious issue right now in our world. We are all susceptible to disease and sickness. And hand washing should absolutely be of highest priority, especially as our world teeters on the edge of a pandemic with the coronavirus. It's a reality that we have to be aware of. Hand washing is an issue of discipleship, of discipline. I'm very proud that my five-year-old son, Asher, is pretty good at washing his hands these days, on his own without being prompted. <laughs> he knows how to get the water to the right temperature. He knows and loves how to lather his hands up with soap. Those dispensers that you put your hand under and they put the foam out like we have here, he will do that again. <laughs> he loves it. And he rinses well and he dries his hands. But he had to be formed and trained in a way that allows him to know how to do it. He has to be reminded still sometimes why it is important. So I ask you all first if you have it figured out. Hopefully you know that you don't. <laughs> I want to link this with hand washing because we are all still figuring it out. We need to be reminded and we need to be mentally present to that task. We need to wash our hands because sometimes we forget. This work is a lifelong discipleship journey to again and again be trained and retrained in a way that forms our life. It's as simple as handwork. As we start off our series that we're going through in Lent, called The Marks of Vitality, as we see them in vital congregations, which I talked about last week, today we are first going to look at lifelong discipleship formation. That is the first mark of a vital congregation. Simply put, lifelong discipleship formation is the active engagement in the ways of faith that deepen and grow over a lifetime. It is something that from, happens from birth to grave, a slow and steady journey from learning and relearning and practicing and repracticing in the ways of Jesus as a community with others doing the same thing. And as we explore today's text, and as we explore the text throughout the rest of Lent, I want us to ask the question of where we see this happening around us. Where are the ways that you engage in practices of the faith personally and in community? And I want you to ask some specific questions of yourselves and of us. Where do you see these things happening in our congregation? Where do we have strengths at St. James Presbyterian Church in the way of lifelong discipleship? Where do we have opportunities to grow? Ask these questions as you consider these texts. This morning's reading comes from the tail end of Acts 2, and it's part of describing the newly reoriented community of Jesus' followers as they establish themselves in the aftermath 
of Jesus' departure. This was a time of great change for the apostles and followers of Jesus' way. A crucial time to be disciplined and set up as a community for their work in the world. So what did they do? We hear very interesting mirroring happening in this text that I want to explore. First in the description in verse 42, and then reiterated and expanded upon in the subsequent verses. In verse 42, we hear that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And then, in verse 43, we hear that the apostles are performing signs and wonders. So, the, the people were in awe and devoting themselves to the study of what was happening. Learning among the apostles, the ones who had seen Jesus. The first year. So let's go on. In 42, we also hear that they fellowship with one another and the apostles. And then in verses 44 and 45, we hear that that fellowship involved being together, sharing all that they had in common, selling their possessions and goods and distributing the proceeds to all as any had needed. Their fellowship wasn't simply a practice of gathering. It was way more radical. It was participating in a common life where goods were shared, where needs were met, where not just hospitality was extended, but loving care to the poor and the needy in their midst. They were greater than the sum of their parts. Their sharing and fellowship made the community strong able to support in times of struggle. The second mirroring of this text. Again, we move on, and we find in 42, they devoted themselves to breaking bread. In verse 46, we hear that they spent time in worship at the temple and time eating together in their homes. These are shared spaces, both public and private. Homes, places that they would go and practice not only the holy meal that Jesus had taught them, but sharing of the abundance of what they had at dinner. And it wasn't just so that they could act out the communion that we will do in a moment here together. It was that they were communion by the way they broke the bread and served it to one another and ate together. This collective act of sharing in the most basic thing with each other, the meal. They did this with glad and joy. This is why we keep paper. Loud <laughs> <laughs> voices. Um, 
and proclaim the love and mercy of a humble servant, Jesus Christ. This discipleship changes everything. It reorients us so that the struggles of our world are not getting the final word, but rather they slip away in the light of our focus on caring for one another and our focus on the one who cares for us, Christ. This is good news. This is the stuff that saves people from despair. Right? Along with the practices that we hear the disciples participate in, this morning I want to argue for hand-washing as a spiritual practice and as an act of resistance to the powers and principalities of the world. Right now in our world, washing our hands is a pretty important topic. And it matters. It matters not only for self-preservation and good personal hygiene, but it matters for the people that we come in contact with. I might be a relatively healthy 37-year-old guy, but what about the vulnerable people I come in contact with each day? Children, older folks, people with compromised immune systems. It is an act of spiritual care that I wash my hands. It is an act of my own spiritual formation to wash my hands, and that each time I do it, I'm invited to consider and pray for all in whom I will come in contact with. Each hand that I will shake, each person that I will hug. Hand washing, then, is an act of resistance because it defies the fears of the world. When you wash your hands, you can come closer to someone in relationship. This is something completely opposed to the fear and division that we hear about in the news or in our public discourse. Powers and principalities say this. Fear. Separate. Take your toys and go home. Don't touch me. You're unclean. Stay away. Stay off my lawn. Today, to wash our hands is to engage in a practice that defies this fear. It is like the disciples defying the powers of the empire by proclaiming a Lord who was not Caesar, a new law that was not of the temple. It is defiance and resistance, knowing that there is a more excellent, loving way that is found in Jesus. You didn't know I could get this worked up about Washington, did you? Friends, it's just an example. The practices of our faith, the ways we engage in everyday life with each other, this lifelong discipleship, it's all an opportunity to be formed in a new way that proclaims freedom for the captives, healing for the hurting, a table for the hungry, and defiance against all powers that would seek to oppress and destroy. This is lifelong discipleship. Lifelong discipleship is not some program that makes sure we have something to offer at the church for every person in every stage of life, or a commitment to a Bible reading plan that you abandon after a couple of weeks. Lifelong discipleship can include these things, but at its core, lifelong discipleship is about being changed, molded, formed all through our days 
to be more like Jesus, less like the powers of evil, more loving, less anxious, less distracted, and more holy. I'm going to end sharing about someone you may have heard about before. Brother Lawrence was a humble French Carmelite monk who lived in the 17th century. He was famous for a little book called The Practice of the Presence of God. His goal was to, with every moment of his day, with every breath, every act, to practice acknowledging God's presence. Washing dishes, eating meals, walking, working. Each was a moment to be mindful and aware of what God was up to in him and around him. That is lifelong discipleship. It's in the washing of hands. It's in the breaking of bread. It's in the fellowship. It is in that long, slow, steady practice of the presence of God. So I close asking those questions once more. Where do we see this in us? Where do we thrive at this as a congregation? Where do we grow together? Deepening this mark of vitality in us. This is our challenge. Let's ask for God's help as we share this journey. Christ, we come before you asking that you would form us, humbly seeking that you would make us like you, that you would weave through our community, and as we take step after step in our life together, that you would work to reveal the ways that we can be more loving, more merciful, more graceful to each other and to our world, formed ever more in your way deeply becoming your disciples. Lord, guide us in our first steps. Day after day. We pray this in your son's name.